It's probably one of the most memorable stories in all of Scripture, at least in the Old Testament. It's captured in children's Sunday school lessons, and I wouldn't be surprised if back in the day, downstairs in this church, I may have been taught this story with the use of the old flannel boards and the graphics that would get stuck to it. I don't think those get used anymore. More likely, electronic tablets have taken their place. Many of you could likely recount highlights of a story in the Bible that we're going to consider this morning without even having your Bible open because it may be that familiar to you. Before we read the biblical account of the crossing of the Red Sea, let's turn to God in prayer and ask that He lead us. Lord, as we turn to the Scriptures, turn our attention, our minds, and our hearts to you. As we open your word, open us to receive it and to be transformed by it. Through Christ we pray, amen. I would invite and encourage you to follow along as we together read Exodus chapter 14. It'll be projected before you, but also open a Bible if you wish, out of the pew, or maybe you brought your own, or maybe you have an electronic device. We're going to be referring back to verses of this passage, and you might find it more meaningful and helpful if you have God's Word in front of you and opened as we work through this text together. Exodus chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think, The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We've let the Israelites go. We've lost their services. So Pharaoh had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahiroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? 
What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through on the, the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire in cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so they had difficulty driving. The Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord.
And they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Israel had a problem. When the children of Israel left their enslavement in Egypt, God told them, the king of Egypt is going to pursue you. Earlier in chapter 14, we read in verse 4, God says to Moses, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And pursue the Israelites, Pharaoh did. After the Israelites departed Egypt, God told them to encamp near Pi-Hahirath, between Megiddo and the sea, and opposite Baal-Zephon. These, these cities were three cities that were located near the outskirts of Egypt and across the Red Sea. And this God-directed move, this God-ordained move, was intended for a purpose. And it was intended to cause Pharaoh and the, uh, to think that the Israelites are confused, they're, they're lost, they become vulnerable. The Bible says Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. In other words, Pharaoh is going to see this, he's going to say, they're not, they don't know what they're doing. But after the Israelites left Egypt, Pharaoh and his officials, not long thereafter, began to regret their decision for having let them go. Their slave laborers were now gone. When the Israelite slaves left, they took with them their working hands, and that must have left a huge dent in the workforce in Egypt, but it must have also left a huge dent in the economy of Egypt. And so Pharaoh and his officials maybe sat down in Pharaoh's chambers one day, got out the books, looked at the credits and the balances and the debits and the liabilities and said, what have we done? We've lost the Israelites. We've let them go. We've lost their services. So Pharaoh decides, we got to get him back. He prepared his chariot, prepared his army to track down the Israelites. And Pharaoh meant business. He took 600 of his best chariots, plus all the other chariots in Egypt, and he placed officials over all of them. And Pharaoh had the best military resources available in that day. Chariots back then were the most sophisticated military technology available. And so he arrayed this vast assembly of chariots, of this military technology. And off he went with the horses and the horsemen, 600 chariots plus all of his troops. And this vast army powerfully and mightily pursued the Israelites until they found them, exactly where God had told them to go. Well, of course, the Israelites look up, 
and they see what's coming toward them, and they're paralyzed with fear. They're basically defenseless against their pursuers. With the mighty Egyptian army coming behind them, with the big Red Sea in front of them, the Israelites felt as if they were between a rock and a hard place, or maybe more appropriately, a rock and a wet place. And so they cried out to the Lord. You know, the Israelites did what we ought to do. When we face dangerous, challenging situations, when we feel as if there is no place to go and we've got an army behind us and we've got a sea ahead of us and somehow we're trapped in the middle, it is then that we ought to turn to God, the one who we as his people believe is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. And it is then that we can claim, as we did at the start of the worship service today, that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. What a bold statement of faith to be able to make with regardless of what's behind us, regardless of what's ahead of us, wherever we are in between, our help as God's people is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. After the Israelites cried out to the Lord, they complained to Moses. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to this desert to die? It was probably less than a week since they had left enslavement in Egypt and already they were complaining, thinking it would have been better had we stayed where we were. Live as slaves than to be let out in this desert to die. No doubt, Israel had a problem. But God had a solution. In verses 13 and 14, if you're following along in your Bible, Moses has no idea how God is going to help in this seemingly hopeless situation. But he was, Moses was confident, unwaveringly confident that the Lord would deliver his people and that the Egyptian pursuers would be conquered. And this wasn't going to happen because of Israel's military prowess. It wasn't going to happen because of Moses' impeccable leadership ability. Rather, it would happen because the Lord himself would fight for them. So instead of being afraid, Moses encouraged the Israelites to stand firm in their faith, and they would see the Lord's deliverance. When we face our Red Sea moments, while it might be natural to be fearful, we too need to stand firm in our faith, trusting that God somehow in His good and perfect timing will deliver us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, God says through the Apostle Paul, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. 
Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Why? How? Because God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Because our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And when we can claim that, then we can stand firm, even in our Red Sea moments, knowing that somehow, sometime, God will deliver us. In verse 15 of the text, God says something interesting to Moses. He says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Prayer is a wonderful thing. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible tells us, pray continually. But what the Bible does not say is pray only. Pray continually, but not pray only. Because there are also times for action. Sometimes it's through our actions, through our participation with God, that He answers our prayers. And to think otherwise would be about as ridiculous as a farmer not planting one seed in the ground in the spring, but yet fervently praying that the Lord will bless him with an abundant harvest. Could God work that way? Sure. Is it likely that he will? I kind of doubt it. And so I think in this text what God is saying to Moses is, don't just pray to me, take action. Move on. You've got work to do. I'm going to accomplish this, but I'm going to accomplish this through your and the Israelites' participation with me. God would use them in carrying out his solution to their problem. And that solution was going to involve two primary things. It was going to involve God's presence and it was going to involve God's power to ultimately accomplish God's purpose. So if you're one of those that likes to hang on to key words to kind of try to track with a sermon or remember it, those are your three words. God's presence, God's power to ultimately accomplish God's purpose. Presence, power, purpose. Verses 19 and 20. An angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army moved and went behind the army and stood between Israel and Egypt. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front of Israel's army and went behind it. And so this, this angel and the pillar of cloud were symbols of God's presence, symbols that God himself was standing in between these two bodies of people, protecting them, present with them. And this movement of the cloud and the angel brought light to the Israelites and it brought darkness to the Egyptians. 
And then look at how often in the text we see examples of God's power. Through Moses, a strong east wind blew and, and God divided the water of the Red Sea all through the night and he carved a path of dry land over which the Israelites could pass. The winds back then could reach roughly 60 miles an hour and all night that wind blew and the waters were parting. Psalm 77 gives a more detailed description of what the parting and crossing of the Red Sea looked like in verses 16 and 20 particularly. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and they writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now that miracle of parting the waters of the Red Sea didn't happen instantaneously. It happened over the course of hours. The parted waters, of course, allowed the Israelites to cross over throughout the night to the other side and to end up on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. God made a way where there seemed to be no way. The power of God was at work. The Egyptian army with their chariots and their horses pursued the Israelites who had been their valuable slaves. But sometime between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning, after the Israelites had safely crossed to the other side, the Lord threw the Egyptian army into confusion. The riders of the Egyptian horses might have lost control of the horses they were riding. The, the, the wheels of the chariots got filled with mud and got stuck. The soldiers might have lost their emotional or mental bearings, and they too may have become even more fearful. God disabled the chariots. And even the Egyptian soldiers realized that God was fighting against them and for the Israelites. Through Moses, God caused the waters of that sea that had parted to come back together once again and to totally destroy the Egyptian army, its horses, its equipment, all swallowed up by the sea. And Pharaoh's chariots and his army were hurled into the sea and they sank to the depths like a stone. Again, the power of God was at work and his presence was with his people. The Israelites had a problem. God had a solution. And that solution involved his presence and his power to accomplish his purpose and that purpose was ultimately to bring glory to himself.
The people feared the Lord. They put their trust in him. They acknowledged Moses as God's servant. Through Pharaoh, his chariots, his horsemen, God gained glory, and the Lord was highly exalted. Maybe today, you feel like the Israelites might have felt when they saw a vast army charging behind them and the Red Sea in front of them. Maybe today, you're wondering how in the world you're going to make it through the close of this year or how in the world you're ever going to make it through another year because of something you're facing in your life and there seems to be no way of escape. We will soon cross over into that new calendar year. The Lord willing, you as a church family are soon going to cross over into a new season of leadership with ordination and installation of recently elected consistory members. New beginnings can be times for excitement, anticipation, but they can also be reasons for anxiety, uncertainty, and sometimes even fear. But the good news for us as God's people is that whatever problem or challenge you and I face now or in the future, individually or as a church family here at Hamilton Reformed or North Blinden or any other Christian church, whatever problem we face, God has a solution. And you can rely on His presence and you can rely on His power. Now that doesn't mean He's not going to require or ask for your participation or your involvement or that of others because he very well might. The solution that God has for your problems might not come all at once, just as those waters of the Red Sea didn't part all at once. It took time. And his solution to your problem might unfold over time just as the waters of the sea parted over time. And God's solution to your problem might be something you would have never imagined. How could the Israelites, how could Moses have ever dreamt up something like the parting of the Red Sea as God's solution to their problem? God told us through the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's no problem we'll face that God can't handle. Your problem might be big, God's solution is bigger. Whatever solution God has for you is intended for your good, but it's also intended for His glory. And you know, really, God has already solved and provided the solution to our greatest problem. Because the greatest problem of mankind is that of a broken relationship with God because of sin. 
And God's solution to that problem was in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and to conquer death through his resurrection so that all who believe in him, who believe in Jesus, who confess and repent of their sin and receive him as their savior and seek to live for him as their Lord, might be forgiven and inherit God's gift of eternal life. And when we do that, we cross over. We cross over from spiritual death to spiritual life. We cross over from a life estranged and separated from God to a life of embracing God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we cross over with Jesus as our Savior, we cross over from an eternity to be spent in hell to an eternity to be spent in heaven. What a solution. And who would have thought of it but God? In God's solution to our greatest problem, we see God's presence, don't we? We see it in the face and in the person of Jesus Christ who died and rose again. We see in God's solution to our greatest problem, God's power, his power over sin and his power over death. So, if you've not yet accepted that solution to your biggest problem, if you've not yet accepted God's solution that he offers you, do so today by inviting Jesus to be your personal Savior and Lord. What a great way to end one year and to start another. To God be the glory, and may he be exalted. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we live in the present and as we face and step into the future, help us rely on your presence and on your power in all that you do in us, through us, and for us. May you be praised and exalted, and may others acknowledge you as God. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and smile gently and fondly upon you. And may he grant to you his peace now and in the year to come. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.